Thank you so much, Lydia. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's really good to be here. Um, it's wonderful to be here. Actually, I'm coming from Carmoney, uh, your parent church, um, down here into the city centre. And if I can just say, like we are, we are for you and we are with you. And every single week, um, up the hill in Carmoney, we are praying for what God um, is doing down here in Central. So for me to be here um, is just brilliant. This morning, it's wonderful to be here. Um, but we are with you. We get updates. We're regular in, in regular contact with Dave um, and the team, and we do hear what's going on. And to, to see the building full here um, is just amazing. Um, God is clearly at work um, in this place and among you, and it's my privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, so thank you, Lydia, and the team for the really warm welcome. I feel at home here, um, and that's a really good thing. We're going to read God's Word together. Um, you have been been looking through um, the book of, or the letter, the letter, it's not a letter, we're in Ephesians back in Carmoney, that's a letter. Um, you've been working through Isaiah 61, let's turn to that. As we finish the, this, this short series, I'm going to read um, the whole of Isaiah 61, just to remind us um, of what you've been working through um, so far. So Isaiah 61, let's read God's word together. The year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the, uh, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace... They will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his, his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up 
before all nations. Let me just pray for a moment and then we'll think about God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word is alive. Your word speaks to us. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Come and take the word of God and make the word of God come alive in the hearts of the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as uh, Christians, here we are sitting here in the city center this Sunday morning. And as the people of God, as those who follow Jesus, we experience the aftertaste of Eden and also a foretaste of the new Jerusalem, the eternal city of God. Let me say that again. As the people of God, as followers of Jesus here this morning, we experience the aftertaste of Eden. And we also get a foretaste of the new Jerusalem, the eternal city of God. Just hold that thought. Hold that thought as we think from these verses in Isaiah 61. There's a building um, in the world that has fascinated me for these last couple of months. Uh, I stumbled across it on YouTube, you know, in a lazier moment um, in one of my working days. And I came across this building. Um, I haven't got a picture of it. I wish I had. You can go and search it up later on. Um, It soars 1,400, well, actually more than 1,400 feet above the city of New York. Um, And it is the penthouse at Central Park Tower. I don't know if anyone has seen this building, but it lays claim to being um, not only the highest residence in the world, but also having um, the highest terrace in the world. It's got this unbelievable outside terrace um, that sits high above the city of New York. It's a once in a lifetime residence. It's a residence none of us, I doubt, will ever, ever live in. It's 250 million US dollars. It occupies the top three floors of the most significant building on what's called Billionaire's Row in New York. And this penthouse apartment has glass on all four sides, offering unobstructed views of New York City. I don't know how many states you can see in the distance from up there, but there are numerous American states that you can see um, on the skyline. The pulsating lights of the the midtown and downtown skylines expand out below this penthouse apartment. And down below, you see Central Park. It's like this little bit of greenery um, among the urban cityscape of New York. The views from every room are beyond breathtaking beyond breathtaking, so vast and far-reaching. Apparently, you can see the bend of the horizon on the distance. It's unbelievable. So high up that it's above the noise of the city. Imagine the apartment is above the sound of the streets below. It's eerily quiet up there. It feels like you're closer to the airplanes than the taxis down below. It's surreal, It's otherworldly. It's a view unlike any other. It's this incredibly unique view down into an incredible city, New York City. As I thought about that view, and as I thought about that little video that I watched and the views down below, it got me thinking about this incredible city of Belfast. I wonder if we were to look down into this city from 130 stories up, but not with, not with physical eyes, not with the eyes that we see each other this morning, but with spiritual eyes, with the eyes of God. If 
if we were able to look down and see what God sees, if we were able to see what he is doing, where he's moving, how he is using you as a church family here in the city center, how he wants to use you, what would we see? If we could perceive what God sees, if we could see what he sees on these city streets as we look down into the city of Belfast, what would we see? What is God using Central Church to plant in this city? Isaiah 61 speaks of good news. You are a good news people. The prophet here anticipates in this chapter the age of, of Messiah Jesus. He anticipates the dawn of deliverance when the long-awaited one would come, when Messiah, Jesus, Savior of the world, would come to rescue his people. It anticipates a life of, of new covenant realities because the Savior has come. And the good news that we read is that he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He has come to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner. Isn't this what we long for in this city? Isn't that the longing of your heart for this city and the people who live and move and dwell here? That the people around us would encounter the good news of Jesus through good news people like you and good news people like me. You've been hearing over these last few weeks that Isaiah 61 speaks of, of this transformation that the good news will bring that we go from being on the outside right into the center of what God is doing, into the kingdom of God. We come into the family of God. All of our guilt and shame, all of our sin has been dealt with through the finished work of Jesus. And along with the good news, in the world that is heavy with strife and resignation, and Jamie painted that picture last week so well, into a world of strife and resignation comes the realization of the character and the promises of God and a renewed sense of justice that our God is putting everything right again, that our God is at work making all things new. See, as Christians, we not only experience the aftertaste of Eden, we not only have a foretaste and know a foretaste of the new Jerusalem, the eternal city of God, but we bring that. We bring that into this world. We bring that, that aftertaste of Eden. We bring that foretaste of the eternal city of God. We bring that with us wherever we go. We give people a taste of the kingdom of God. That is who you are. That is who we are as the church. We have a taste in our lips and in our hearts. It's a taste of heaven. It's the aftertaste of Eden. It's a beautiful foretaste of the eternal kingdom of God, that eternal city that we will one day dwell in with God himself. But in between, in between these two tastes, we have the good news. We have the gospel, the good news of Jesus. In between Eden and the new Jerusalem, Jesus has come. He has come. The gospel has come. The good news is here the good news is alive and at work within our hearts, within this church family and within this city. The good news is here. 
as we look at these last two verses, verses 10 and 11, at the end of chapter 61, what we see here and what we read is that the response, the only appropriate response to this good news is a response of worship. That we worship Yahweh for all that he will do, for all that he has done among us. We worship him. Isn't it really good that we would end, that you would end this short series in worship? You've been thinking about the good news and here we are today finishing the series and the series is going to end with this incredible call to worship God. I've enjoyed worshiping with you this morning and I can't wait when we close out this series in a few moments to worship God again. Verse 10, look at verse 10 if you're following along. Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. To worship God is the only appropriate response to the good news, isn't it? It's the only appropriate response for those who have an aftertaste of Eden and this wonderful foretaste of heaven, the city of God, the new Jerusalem. The only appropriate response for us is to worship God in spirit and in truth. But in these closing verses, the prophet gives us two very important and interesting images or metaphors that, helped, that help us to prompt our imaginations to worship. So take a look at it in these last two verses. One of them is marriage, and the other is of a garden. One is of a marriage, and the other is of a garden. And so as the people of God... We have been dressed as a bride or a groom for a wedding. We have garments that have been put upon us. And those garments are the garments of righteousness. We've been clothed in righteousness as we await the greatest wedding feast of all. And then we are to tend to a growing garden. We're those who are gardeners and there's a garden around us that we're to tend to and the seeds that we plant are seeds of righteousness. The clothes that we wear, the garments that we wear as we wait for that, that greatest wedding feast of all when we go to be with God in the eternal city of God, the garments we wear are those of righteousness. But as we plant seeds today in the garden around us, the seeds that we plant are also seeds of righteousness. Seeds that, that speak of the righteous heart of the Father. Our garments for the wedding feast are salvation and our robes are righteousness. The seeds that we sow are seeds of righteousness. That's who we are as the people of God. Righteousness. You see, for those who walk in the way of Jesus, our new status is righteousness. We are those who, who have been made right with God. Does that make you full of joy this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been made righteous. The word here in the Hebrew is the word siddiq. It just means rightness. We are right before the Father. We have been made right. His righteousness is upon you. You have been made right with God. And so you can enter his holy presence because you have been made right. You are the righteous if you are in Christ. Let's not confuse this idea of being righteous with the notion some people have. You know, you hear people say, oh, he's so self-righteous. He's so full of his own self-righteousness. This is not that. 
This is totally different. This is precisely not that because this kind of righteousness has absolutely nothing to do with us. We can't produce it. It doesn't come from us. In fact, Isaiah will go on to record in chapter 64, verse 6, that all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our own self-righteous acts are like filthy rags. All of our own self-righteous acts are only like, self, uh, like, like filthy rags before God. You see, righteousness is only granted. Righteousness is only given or gifted to us through what Jesus has done for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 that he who knew no sin, the Son of God, Jesus, Savior of the world, he who knew no sin would become sin for us that we might become what? That we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange, possibly the greatest promise in all of Scripture, that the Son of God would give himself for us that he would take all of our sin and shame and guilt upon himself, that he would put it to death, that he would defeat that on our behalf. And from that moment on, when we trust in him and in what he has done for us, he puts upon us his garments of righteousness. We become right before the Father. You see, this righteousness from God is at least three things. It's at least three things. It is God's. It's his. It comes from God because he is absolute righteousness. It belongs to him. Secondly, it alone can make us righteous. It's only this righteousness from God through what Jesus has done for us that can make us righteous. Nothing else can do that. And then thirdly, it's a righteousness that must be pursued above everything else. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says, seek that first. I'm six months into my time in, in Carmoney and helping to lead uh, that church family there. And one of the things that has marked the first six months has been this desire and this journey towards righteousness, that we would be this kind of people, that we would be those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that that would be the primary overriding pursuit of our hearts as the people of God that we would seek righteousness, that we would pursue that, that we would run after that, that that would be the first thing upon our hearts, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So come with me to the 130th floor again. Let's go up above the city of Belfast. Let's go up high and look down upon this city. What will it look like for this city to be clothed in righteousness? What will it look like for seeds of righteousness to be sown here in this city, in this our day and generation? What will it look like for seeds of righteousness to be sown? What will it look like for the kingdom to come? What will it look like for people all around us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? 
Well, it's going to take a generation distinct, isn't it? Distinct. I believe that is who you are. I believe you hunger for that. I believe Central Church, you hunger for that. To be a generation distinct. I could sense that in my spirit from the moment I walked in here. A generation of people distinct, hungry to be different, hungry to seek after the kingdom of God and pursue righteousness. It's going to require us to be distinct, to carry that taste of the kingdom of God, that we would carry that aftertaste of Eden onto these streets, that we would carry that foretaste of the eternal city of God, that we would bring that that we would introduce people to that, that they would taste that from us, that they would smell that aroma of Christ everywhere we go, that we would be a generation preparing for the greatest wedding celebration of all. I see that as one of my primary callings as a, a minister, pastor, senior leader within the church, that I would be one who helps prepare the bride for the greatest wedding feast of all that we would be a generation preparing ourselves for the day that we do go and be with Jesus in that eternal city of God, that we would see ourselves in that light, that we would be a generation being dressed in garments of righteousness, that we would be a generation planting seeds of righteousness. Yes, that we would look incredibly cool, and you do, but that we would be wearing garments spiritual garments of righteousness, distinct, different. The aftertaste of Eden, the foretaste of the eternal city of God upon us. See, the great need of our day, the great need of our day, the great need, I believe, all around us is not for our intelligence, not for our relevance even, but the great need of our day is for our righteousness. It's for Isaiah 61. It's that we would be a people, those oaks of righteousness planted where God has us. That God would be at work through that. You see, our calling is to a very distinct kind of living, isn't it? Our calling is to bring that aftertaste and that foretaste that people would taste the righteousness of God off us. That the Spirit would be so at work that people would actually taste this from us as the people of God. That our presence would leave a lingering taste. That there would be that lingering aroma of Christ because we've been in the room. Because we have been near them because they have come into this place, that they would taste it, that they would smell it, that it would rise up from us. You see this aftertaste of Eden, this foretaste of the eternal city of God, it looks like acting justly, doesn't it? In the face of injustice. It looks like extending love towards those who perhaps have not felt love for years. It looks like extending grace towards those who pretty much expect the opposite in their lives. That we would be a people who bring that eternal taste of the kingdom of God. And then at the end of this 
portion of scripture in Isaiah 61. Isaiah finishes with these words. He says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and as a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. You see, at the heart of it all is worship. At the heart of it all is worship. As righteousness springs forth from the people of God, so too does praise and worship. They go together. They go hand in hand. We step into righteousness. We pursue righteousness. We seek that first. And our hearts can do nothing else but worship the Lord. To praise his holy name. We are a worshiping community. You are a worshiping community gathered here this morning in this city for this city. Why do we care about righteousness and right worship? Well, we care because we care about this city. We care about this world. We care about the people around us. We care that the kingdom would come. And so we are those who delight greatly in the Lord. Our souls rejoice in our God and our praise, like Isaiah says, springs up before all peoples. Our praise rises up before all peoples all around us. We worship God in the middle of all the people all around us. They hear our songs of righteousness. They hear our desire for more. They hear of our love for Jesus. And for the kingdom of God, our praise rises up before all the peoples of this world. As we come to a close this morning, remember Job. Job, he was a righteous man. We read that in the Old Testament. But the really interesting thing that I've come to know and learn about the book of Job is that it's not so much a narrative that teaches us as the people of God about the nature of suffering, although it does do that. There's a lot of suffering in the book of Job and we learn about what it means to suffer, what it looks like to suffer as the people of God. But Job doesn't just teach us about the nature of suffering, I think. And I believe that primarily Job teaches us about the nature of righteousness, what it means to be those who belong to God, those who are righteous, who have been made right in his sight. Job doesn't curse God. Remember that? Job doesn't curse God. His life becomes a train wreck. I mean, I really feel for Job whenever I read his story and what happens to him. This hurricane of devastation tears through his home and through his family. He loses everyone. This incredible bomb of bereavement hits him. I was on a bereavement journey course during the week and we had one particular guest on that course and she talked about her grief in that way. She said it was like a bomb going off and the debris is all around her and she's trying to pick up the pieces and it's just so hard. Well, for Job, a bomb of bereavement hits him. Multiple losses in his life. The debris goes everywhere. Job, in the middle of it all, what does he do? He worships God. He doesn't curse God. 
You see, in Job's day, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there was a karma culture, a little bit like our world today, this karma cult, uh, culture. You know, bad things happen to bad people. What goes around comes around. That was the kind of thought in, in Job's day, this culture of retribution, that bad things happen to bad people. Job, you must have done something really bad for this to enter your life. Own up, Job, what have you done? What have you done that is so bad for this to happen to you? But the book of Job, God shows us that this is not the heart of the Father. This is not the heart of the Father. Bad things can happen in life to both good and, don't say bad people, we're all bad in some way. Bad things happen to everybody. Devastation will come your way and my way. Bereavements will come. Great loss will be experienced. Things will happen that feel like a total injustice to each of us at some point in in our lives. But Job does show us. He shows us the nature of righteousness. He trusts in the Lord and the righteousness of God that is upon his life. And come what may, Come what may, this can never be taken from him. His garments of righteousness can never be taken from him. You see, Job is the oak of righteousness that we read of in in, in chapter 61 a little bit earlier on. He is that oak of righteousness. He's planted deep. The roots go deep. The roots go deep and he is able to withstand what comes his way because he is an oak of righteousness and he praises God through it all. He has his moments, understandably, but he praises the Lord. And in the end, he receives this double portion. He receives the blessing of God. In the final chapter of the book of Job, we read that the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. It's a blessing for the righteous. Those who stand to the end through it all. There's this amazing cross reference here in in Isaiah 61 verse seven, where we read that instead of your shame, Will come a, 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 you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Central family, we are a worshiping community. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Right here and right now, the Lord is giving us, giving you the beautiful aftertaste of Eden And he is giving you a foretaste of the eternal city of God. And it tastes a lot like righteousness. He's calling you into that. To be that distinctive people in this city for this time. And for this generation. For the age that you live in. For the people all around you. God is planting something. God is planting something beautiful here. There's a a tree being planted in the city. That's what I see in my spirit preparing for this today. There is a tree being planted in this city right here. And it's an oak of righteousness. It's an oak of righteousness. And there is fruit that hangs on the branches of this tree. And there is a smell and aroma and a taste that comes off it. It's the aftertaste of Eden. It's a foretaste of what is to come. That's what God has called you to.